Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. My name is Kristen Wells, and I serve as the youth director for our 7th through 12th grade ministry. I had the privilege of sharing our lesson from the land this morning. When Pastor Michelle asked me to share, she asked me to pick any week in the series, and I selected the passage of scripture that drew me most. Well, if you've been following along in the Bible with us this year, you've heard Michelle say maybe a few times that if it sounds like a weird passage that you've maybe never heard before, it's probably in the book of Numbers. And so with the fair warning I just gave you, strap yourself in and hear the word of the Lord this morning. Numbers 21, 1 through 9. When the Canaanite king of Arad, who ruled in the arid southern plain, heard that the Israelites were coming on the Atharim road, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. Then Israel made a solemn promise to the Lord and said, If you give this people into our hands, we will completely destroy their city. The Lord heard the voice of Israel and handed the Canaanites over. They completely destroyed them in their cities. So the name of the place is called Hormah. They marched from Mount Hor on the Reed Sea Road around the land of Edom. The people became impatient on the road. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why did you bring us up from Egypt to kill us in the desert, where there is no food or water? And we detest this miserable bread. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit the people. Many of the Israelites died. The people went to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we spoke against the Lord and you. Pray to the Lord so that he will send the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a poisonous snake and place it on a pole. Whoever is bitten can look at it and live. Moses made a bronze snake and placed it on a pole. If the snake bit someone, that person could look at the bronze snake and live. The word of God for the people of God. I told you this was a a weird set of verses, and we'll unpack those in just a moment. One thing that makes me uniquely qualified to be sharing with you this morning is the fact that as of about three weeks ago, I walked this land with my own two feet. Um, You know that Pastor Michelle went to the Holy Land while I was on that trip that she led. Um, And where the scripture has brought us to this morning is just about 20 miles, a hop, a skip, and a jump from a body of water known as the Dead Sea. As we did our venture in the Holy Land, I had expectations for a lot of places. I saw the place where Mary was told she would give birth to the Messiah. I saw the birthplace of Jesus in Bethlehem, the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized by John. We took a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, the sea where Jesus calmed the storm and Peter walked on water. I saw the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed just hours before he was hung on a cross. 
And I even saw the empty tomb. All of those places are great pillars of our Christian story. And those are places that I knew on paper before ever seeing them in person. I had great expectations for these places. But the Dead Sea, I had no expectations for the Dead Sea. And maybe you, like me, are asking, what lesson could this land, or sea, possibly have to teach us this morning? We have four things that we say bring our faith to life as United Methodists. Those are scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. And I will lean on my experience this morning. What I want you to understand about going to the Holy Land is that it doesn't exactly feel like a vacation. It is like drinking from this fire hose of tradition. My husband, Wesley, accompanied me on this trip. And what you need to know about Wesley is that he is a nerd in every sense of the word. And I mean that with all of the love in my heart. But the fire hose of tradition that we are drinking from, Wesley is voraciously trying to bottle this proverbial hose water into his iPhone notes app. So while my ADD brain is trying to create memory after memory of what is in front of me, I know that if there's something I forget or something I don't understand, Wesley will give me the high points later. But on this particular day, all of my senses are intact. My Adderall is kicking in. I'm firing on all cylinders, and I'm feeling good. We start the morning by taking a group picture at the Mount of Olives. No big deal. We follow it up with a hike at Engedi, in perfect view of the Dead Sea. I've been on several hikes in my day. And I'm familiar with what they mean for me. Breathlessness. But a mile or so into our climb, I notice that I'm not becoming breathless. In fact, I'm keeping up better than I've ever kept up before, following right behind Larry Mahoney, who told me that he runs an average of five miles per day. I feel alive doing an activity that has only ever reminded me of my need to build stamina. After a tour and lunch at Qumran, we load into the bus, and as we're on our way to the Dead Sea, I'm asking myself a variation of the question I started with. What do I need to know about this place, and what does it have to teach me? I'm listening to our guide, Joseph, explain that he's going to get us to the sea at the best time of day. We're going to take you to a VIP beach. In the words of Joseph, you're going to love it. <laughs> and music to my ears, Joseph tells us that one of the coolest things about the Dead Sea is that even though we're going at the sunniest time of day, it's very difficult to get sunburned. Because it's 1,600 feet below sea level, it's the lowest point on Earth. And not only that, that ozone layer that everyone is always talking about and always trying to protect, it has a very thick one of those. And so it makes it very difficult for UV rays to penetrate. My dermatologist is going to be so proud. 
people come to the Dead Sea for its healing properties. It's filled with rich minerals, and at its area of low elevation, it's really good for your heart, which is likely why I didn't become winded on that earlier hike. He says, when you get in the water, you're going to want to find some good mud, the smooth kind, not the gritty. You're going to wipe that all over your face and arms and legs, and you're going to let it get dry and crusty in the sun. And after you rinse, your skin will become so soft that it will be unrecognizable to you. And lastly, it is called the Dead Sea because it is so salty, nothing can live here. It is 30% salt. That's 10 times saltier than the ocean. You won't see any vegetation, fish, or birds because nothing can live in that much salt water. And as it is decreasing at a rate of 1.5 meters per year, it is only getting saltier. And that salt means you can't even sink if you want to. And just a word of warning, Joseph says. Do not get so much as a drop of water in your eyes because it will temporarily blind you. Do not get any water in your lungs because if enough water gets into your lungs, it will kill you. To your right of the changing rooms to put on your swimwear. We'll see you back at the bus in an hour and a half. Have a great time. You're going to love it. That took quite a turn at the end there, didn't it? Our scripture lesson this morning takes quite a turn as well. I want to bring out a summary of what stood out to me as I camped out in this passage this week. The Israelites are wandering through the desert under the direction of Moses. And as is a constant cycle, the Israelite people are growing weary of their journey. And they say some things that maybe they shouldn't say. They're remembering the good old days in Egypt where, yes, they were slaves, but anyway, it just kind of slips out, right? In their impatience and their frustration, it just kind of slips out when they say to God and Moses, you have promised us a land flowing with milk and honey, but all we see for miles around is deserts. And adding insult to injury, one of them, because there's always one that just gets a little excited about the argument, he takes things a step too far and he says, yeah, and another thing, that bread you've been giving us, it ain't even that good. I don't know why in my head he had a Brooklyn accent, but I did my best. But as the cycle goes, God responds to this and he sends... Snakes. Snakes. And the snakes bite some of them, and it says that many of the Israelites die. And I don't know how many people die before they realize they've offended God. But they go to Moses and said, we've messed up. We want another chance. And Moses says, okay. Hey, God. They said they're sorry. They always are. Yes, but I think this time, fine. So you'll take away the snakes? No. I want you to make a snake and put it on a pole, and whoever is bitten and looks in the eyes of that snake will live. And Moses does it. 
And when the people get bitten, they look in the eyes of this bronze snake and they are saved. Talk about an odd turn. But I looked into the history of snakes for these people. And for those of you that have been following along well with our reading through the Bible of this year, you know that a snake is part of Moses' call story. When Moses is called to bring his people out of Egypt, he has a good amount of imposter syndrome and he doubts that people are going to believe that he can do what he says he's going to do. And so God equips him in Exodus 4 with some tools. In, in Exodus 4, 3, God calls Moses to throw down his shepherd's rod. And it becomes a snake. And he says to pick that snake up by the tail. And when he does that, it becomes a rod. And this is to signify to the people that God is with him. Just a few chapters later in Exodus 7, Moses' brother Aaron throws down his rod in front of the Pharaoh. And it turns into a cobra. And my favorite part is that the Pharaoh calls together his wise men and wizards and they use their secret knowledge. That's what it says in the Common English Bible. And they use their secret knowledge to do the same thing. They throw down their rods, they turn into cobras. But Aaron's rod swallows up each of their rods to signify that once again, God is with them. Records show that people during this time would use snake-like objects because of their belief that it would protect them from snake bites. There was a close association between snakes, life, and fertility. So the fact that God is using something pretty familiar to them actually makes a lot of sense. We know that in Greek mythology, snakes appear several times. For example, on the staff of Asclepius. And these ideas are carried into our medical symbols today with the star of life and the caduceus. And isn't that interesting? That while the Israelites in our scripture lesson this morning are surrounded by death, God provides a way for them to experience life. One thing I think surprised us, uh, all of us, for who were going to the Holy Land for the first time, was the amount of walking required of us. And some in our group were struggling, and Lyle Clapper was one of those. He had a difficult time because on one of the first days of the trip, his knee started acting up. And so Lyle has to decide really whether to sit back and hurt or whether to fight through a little bit more pain and and see some things, right? So he's got to make this decision constantly throughout our trip. And Lyle decides that he's not going to miss the experience of the Dead Sea, He didn't want to just see it. He wants to get in it. And I wasn't watching Lyle, but I did see him in the water. And what didn't occur to me until the moment it's unfolding in front of me is, ooh, how is Lyle going to get out? Someone guided him over to this big step, but that first step is pretty hefty. And Lyle's worried it's just too big of a bound for his knee. And so they sit him down on this step, and they're trying to troubleshoot this problem. How are they going to get Lyle out? How are they going to get Lyle out? 
Because this wasn't just Lyle's problem anymore. This was a group project now. And someone in our group has this brilliant idea. Can you just deadlift him? Can you deadlift him? Well, I guess you never know until you try, right? So Wesley's on the lowest step, and he wraps his arms around Lyle. And Lyle wraps his arms around Wesley. And Wesley deadlifts him out of the Dead Sea like it's nothing. And to tell you the truth, I think it surprised Wesley as much as it surprised Lyle. And I know this moment was significant to Lyle because I've heard him share it. To know that floating in potentially fatal waters, in a moment where he could have felt very much alone, he was not. There's a well-known verse in John. Um, If you've been around the church for a while, you probably know it. John 3.16. Probably many of you could quote that to me. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. Two verses before that very famous phrase in verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Apparently, this story in Numbers is pretty familiar to the religious leaders of the day. And so I'm not sure how I missed that for so long, but now that I've made the connection, I just want to frame this for you. About 2,000 years ago, there was a crucifixion that looked an awful lot like death. But just like the snake in the wilderness was raised up to bring life to the Israelites, Jesus was raised up from the grave. And for the people of God, that means life. What lesson could the Dead Sea possibly have for us this morning? Maybe it's not so different from the lesson in our scripture passage. But in the midst of the wilderness, when we should be too breathless to keep up, God allows us to experience life. That when we are waiting in waters that are sure to put an end to us, We are part of the community, the church, that if it looks like it's supposed to, God will use it to help God's people experience life. Amen? God doesn't always take away the snakes. But God is all about providing a way for God's people to know life. God did this for the Israelites And God does it for us today. So I asked you this morning, how is God calling you to step further into this gift of life? And how is God already stirring in your heart ways that you can extend this gift to our community and to the world? Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online 
at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example for radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.